Welcome, everyone, once again uh, to the Highlands Bunker. We're in the Shadow of Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines here in the Highlands. Um, we have Carl Baker on today, an old friend of ours. Um, he's done some, uh, some reporting uh, around the coronavirus, but more uh, around the, 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 the federal sort of control of personal protective equipment, um, how some of that stuff is being... Um, gotten into the United States uh, and commandeered or intercepted and, and some end runs that I kind of want to ask about, too. Uh, but, uh, Carl, uh, how are you? Great. Um, I am consumed, probably like all of us are, with, uh, with the protests right now. Yeah, yeah I was going to... Um, I, I wanted to kind of start with that only because uh, we ran into each other. Uh, you were uh, working, um, and I guess I'm a professional pro protester now with Antifa, so I was also working. So we were both on the clock when we ran into each other uh, on sa on Saturday. Uh, my paycheck hasn't come in yet, though. Um, that's a shame. Maybe I'm furloughed from Antifa. Um, so yeah, we, we, we ran into each other, and um, I, I did, I used a little bit of Jeannie Kwan's reporting um, in uh, a little commentary we released today, uh, but everybody you know was reporting the hell out of it. Um, saw my friend Photog Jerry a few places. Uh, but what were your what were your takeaways? Um, kind of what what did you what did you make of it? Um, how much did you cover? And um, yeah, what what did you take away from it? I was there from. I guess I got there around. 12:30, right before the the protest began its march in Rodney Square, uh, and then I was there. Really, I was there until about 12:30 at night. Um, I think I was there probably later than most people uh, from the News Journal. But uh, what's the take? I think I think the takeaway for me is whether, however, we feel how however we feel about methods of protest uh, if we you know don't agree with breaking windows or other forms of ransacking the city the anger is real and i don't think we as a society should should dismiss that anger as as a, a, or look past it and only look at the protest methods that we agree with i think that that anger is, it should be telling to us and we we need to address it yeah i mean i i I think that's why I'm glad so many of, of you guys were on the ground um, because the, con the historical context and the, and the context now is, is extremely important uh, because I, I, I have fielded some of those questions about tactics or strategy um, and obviously I don't, you know, I, I can't, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't uh, recommend or, or tell people to do violence because that's just not going to work. I, I don't, I'm not into that. Um, vandalism is a little bit different, but still I understand why people are averse to, you know, vandalism and looting. And I, I understand that. But the bigger point to understand is why is this happening? Like, what did we miss? What did we allow to fester? Um, you know, and, and Challenger Pitt said, uh, and I mentioned it today on the commentary, um, you know, you have to try to understand it um, because it's not coming from nowhere. And I think there's a lot of confusion. And I, I think because of really what it is and what the demands are, people have trouble kind of reckoning with it. Um, you know, 
because you know it's it's outside the bounds of like what we're allowed to talk about like we're allowed to talk about things within this within a certain sort of range and anything outside of that um is sort of off limits and if you don't ex if you don't expand the, the way your your thought process and don't interrogate and investigate the context you you're you're certainly going to miss it um but those those parameters are put there for that exact reason in my opinion is so that you do miss it like you said people don't really they don't really understand the anger and the reaction um and the context and you know that's yeah you know, i was really glad to see you guys see you guys out there so you you stayed out um after midnight yeah i think well right around midnight i don't remember yeah. exactly so were you were you downtown did you see shit go down or how how did it uh, did you follow the group as because i know there was some scrapes uh, here in Trolley Square, uh, near my neighborhood, I know there was some scrapes. Um, there was some scrapes on Dupont Street near Little Italy on Hilltop. Um, I don't know if you followed the, the, some of the groups or you stayed downtown. What was your what What did you witness uh, where you were? No, I mean just so I I, I like I said I got to Rodney Square uh, an hour or so after it started and then kind of followed the the march to the city county building and then to the police station. Um, and then it stayed there for, for quite a while, maybe more than an hour um, where emotions ran high. Uh, from there, I actually, I, I ran home after that, uh, filed some, some paragraphs for, for the bigger story. Um, then I came back out a little bit later to kind of the, the, the ninth and uh, orange area streets okay. um and that's where you know that's where a lot of a lot of that vandalism was happening yeah 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 we, we um so yeah we we actually followed on i i was in the march all the way down 95 uh and then came came up oh i'm sorry i forgot i i completely forgot about one little section i i i had gone actually before i went home i went to the uh to the entrance of 95 where there was a group of about 100 protesters there um essentially blocking off the entrance to Congress and protesting at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. The, so really, cause uh, we, we kind of swung around, we, we went over the Walnut street bridge and sort of, um, took a an intersection there, Walnut street and South bridge for about 30 minutes. And then we looped back and we looped back around. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was really something. Um, I know I, you guys have, uh, some folks covering, um, the Philadelphia right now on the ground, I think. Um, yeah, right now we got two people up there. Yeah, I, I I wish them the best. It's yeah. getting it's getting real wild up there. Yeah, just before we just before I dialed in, I was I was following their tweets, and it's uh, um, it was it seemed like it might have been dying down just in the last few minutes, but who knows? I'm I'm not there, so it's tough to say. Yeah, that's one thing. Um, one thing we've been talking about, you know, it's uh sort of a famous Rasta thing and some of the uprisings in, uh, in Jamaica, but they talk about it all the time, um, war and rumors of war. So you, you, you get a lot more rumors of war than you get of real of war. Um, so you hear things and it's really tough to, to say, um, exactly what's going down and where, cause there's thousands of things going down everywhere. and You're only seeing like a little slice of it. Um, so it's sort of hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's get into this uh, this COVID reporting. When the the first story was very early on, 
when I guess the state was trying to um, provision uh, some PPE and masks and things, uh, from where and what was the circumstance uh, for that first uh, sort of odd situation, that story? So as I understand it, I mean, I think this has been pretty widely reported. This, this hit rather suddenly, and it shouldn't, not, not, not so suddenly that I think states should have been better prepared. But when it hit, states scrambled and tried to find suppliers for, for all, the, you know, for the masks, for the gowns, for, for hand sanitizer, for ventilators. Um, and there was not a centralized supply, so they had to go out and just find somebody who had some, find somebody who had a connection to, to a factory in China or wherever else. And so the states, and as far as I can tell, all 50 states were out there competing against each other, trying to get these, you know, these little shipments at a time, piecemeal shipments of PPE. Um, amid that, I, I found or I learned that there was a, a guy in, in Newark who uh, who normally brings in uh, hazmat suits um, from China, but through it through an Italian company. Um, and he had because of those established connections he had, he was find the shipments to. Uh, masks and at that time he was talking about these COVID tests that he thought he was going to be able to bring in as far as I, I know now it turns out he didn't get those tests but that first story was about those tests and it was really it was kind of about how he was saying you know it was about this whole idea that all the states are scrambling using whatever means they can to secure a deal for this stuff they all need and um, he was saying because of his friendship with Chris Coons he was going to make sure Delaware got some of his um, which, which is just, just an interesting facet to this complex web of, of how, how states are kind of just, yeah, I mean, are trying to get, trying to get what they need. Yeah. I, I will say, um, there's a story that's been, you know, widely reported at the time when it happened, but the governor of, uh, Maryland had a similar situation where his wife had some connection with just through you know, business connections with China and was able to directly import them from China on a plane. But they had to be very secretive and bring it into the airport with like a stake because the, the, the federal government was like looking for it, which, again, is is sort of strange because even going back to the Bush era, you know, we had a national stockpile and we started preparing for, you know, different types of pandemics, um, you know, how they would spread, how we would treat them. And one of the things um, not just having people on national security council, but national stockpiles, um, vaccination plans, plans with what to do if you didn't have a vaccine and all of that. And that just seemed to be none of that worked at all. And it actually worked in reverse where now it, 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 it really required personal connections, um, overseas import export connections is probably very complicated, um, to get this stuff in. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it was, a, was, a, was sort of like a, a wild west sort of situation yeah and and, and you know it's, it's it's i think it's fair to point out that at the time when i chris coons was saying even though he is you know his friend who he admitted was his friend was was saying he was giving going at least allocate a portion of these for delaware chris coons was saying this is not the way we should do it we should have a centralized supply that's governed by the federal government um so that that happened it turned out like i said that I guess he didn't get those those tests, but he had been bringing in in uh, 
in masks, in the, the earlobe masks, as, as I understand they're called, the surgical masks. Right, right. But then um, a few weeks later, he got a line on, or not even a few weeks later, uh, shortly after, he got a, a line on these N95s, the ones that everybody wants. Um, and I guess, and now I'm, I believe it was 400,000 in total. It was the first shipment was 100,000. Well, no, actually, I think it was more than 400,000. But anyway, the first shipment was 100,000 masks. Uh, he got those in. They landed in JFK. He was ready to pick them up. And then he was informed that they weren't in his possession, that FEMA was going to commandeer them. And um, So FEMA intercepted them at customs in JFK. That's right. That's, a, that's, I, that's I, right. I, yeah. Okay. So, so at, at the time, I, did, so he, I, I was just getting this information from him. Actually, after the story, they finally had sent me a statement confirming his, case, his take on it. But anyway, so they had, they had seized it. Um, he says they didn't pay him for it. He, he put up for, uh, how much did he put up for this? I think he said $4 million for this entire, um, I believe it was 800,000 uh, mask order. Um, and he was, he was left without them and, and without really any information about where they were going, about why they took them, um, or about whether he was gonna be paid. And he was saying, look, I understand if, the, if we need the federal government to dictate where these things go, but first of all, pay me. And second of all, um, I, can, I can take them and I can ship them faster than you guys can to where they need to go. Just tell me where they need to go. Now, I don't know who's right in that sense, but that was, that was his situation. So do we sub have we subsequently answered any of those questions as to how... FEMA was able to intercept them or commandeer them where they may have went, went gone uh, and under what circumstances and has this uh, gentleman from Newark been paid in, or, or even contacted in any way to, to be given any information? He has been contacted. He's been, he has spoke, his attorneys and I believe him himself had, had talked, has spoken with FEMA and FEMA's attorneys. Um, it, they had, they had claimed them under the Defense Production Act, which is this act that I believe was established in fifties or so a while I back. I think they might've used it in world war two, but I'm not positive. Yeah. It's, it's about that. It's about that old. Yeah. But yeah, it maybe world war two. Um, anyway, and, and it was, you know, it, it is, as, as I understand it, 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 it is designed to essentially in times of crisis in times of war to allow the federal government to take the means of the, of industrial production and, and direct those resources where they think is best for that effort. Um, so I, I, I got FEMA confirmed that they had seized first this 100,000 ship, uh, mask shipment and then later a 300,000 mask shipment. So in total, 400,000 masks. Um, the importer ended up canceling the second half of his, uh, of his shipment after those two, two seizures. Um, but the questions of where they ended up going and whether he was paid I don't know yet. So there, there, there are still a number of unknowns. Are you familiar with um, any uh, s stories similar to this? Um, because I, I had heard some, um, in the actually specifically in the Caribbean, um, Antigua and Barbuda, um, Bermuda. I think there was some shipments that somehow the United States was able to get their hands on those shipments. I don't know if you've heard anything about that or in your research in this area, if you can speak on it at all. 
No, I, I don't know about that. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I, I, I was... I mean, it, it's it's sort of odd enough that on one hand, um, it seems like the federal government um, has is is uninterested in um, in coordinating anything, uh, but then on the other hand, it seems as if uh, when they can, when they can, they will intercept things in their own interest. That's why I'm a, I'm a, I'm extremely interested in anything about you know how they were able to divert those N95 masks uh, because you know we have the federal government out there telling you one thing telling you that um, they're not interested in, in in evoking the the act they're not interested in you know having a centralized you know plan um, but then when they get the opportunity. Um, as we've seen in other times, I mean, they sent, um, I think they sent military aircraft to bring masks back and, and, and gear back, um, but, but wound up then being, they, they acted as an intermediary to give them to private, into private hands for them to then sell and disperse because, as the guy in Newark said, he could disperse them better. But the, the, the fact is that you either, it's, it's almost like you either want to get involved or you don't, and I'm, I'm, and I'm trying to sort of pick apart the situations whereby the federal government gets involved and say, what was special about those situations where they did it uh, when it, it seemed like they didn't really have an appetite for doing it? Um, I, I don't know if you've sort of looked into that context at all um, or had any, you know, sort of had any thought on that. I have looked into it and, and, and candidly, unfortunately, I haven't found any answers. Um, uh, locally, I don't know. Nationally, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. That that is the question. I agree with you though. Um, where where is it going? What basically? I think what you're saying is what is the larger strategy? Um, and I think it's fair to say the federal government hasn't articulated that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's as you said, or as the you know the importer said, or anybody might say. Okay, well, if you want to take some action based on this situation, explain to me what it is, and 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 you know maybe we can because it certainly. You know, being quarantined for months and the economy, you know, I guess the economy is doing quote unquote well, but, you know, we have 25 percent unemployment. So I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but, yeah, I think these questions are going to be important, especially now that we're trying to reopen. Um, you know, we've had, you know, uh, all of these protests now outside. Now they are outside. There was a lot of mask wearing. Um, you know, there was some social distancing, but not, you know, it, it wasn't sustainable outside. So, you know, my guess is that the second wave will be, you know, and, and I think experts say it'll be very similar to the first wave. Uh, and the first wave wasn't that great. You know, we, we're, we're over 100,000 deaths now. Um, so, yeah, I think these stories are important because we might be doing this all again if we don't sort of if we don't sort it out. <laughs> I think one question, even in the best case scenario, um, is let's say there's a vaccine. You know, how is this going to? What is the strategy going to be federally with producing and then distributing and supplying a vaccine? Um, is is it going to be similarly apparently disjointed in the way that PPE distribution was? Um, I think we we. A society should start thinking and talking about that now because 
however long it takes, six months, eight months, a year, two years, I don't know. But if there is a vaccine, who will get it? Who will produce it? Where will it come from? Out of the country will it be produced domestically and, and, and who will pay for it? And I mean, all those questions need to be answered because um, there, there, I, I, I can envision a likely, a, a similar scramble as to what there was you know, a month and a half ago with states trying to get. Yeah, I guess my, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think it would it would shed some light on, or at least make people start thinking about how to distribute a vaccine or produce it. Uh, my issue is that from the science that I'm reading, and again, I'm not, I'm not a math science guy, but from the science I'm reading, I, I don't see any way that a vaccine would be ready until at least next year. Now that's the minimum. Whether or not um, we can do it before, you know, we see evolution and changes in the virus. So that's actually a vaccine is actually maybe maybe 50 50 chance. My pressing concern is what I mentioned before, is that if we have a second wave and we're trying to get to whatever herd immunity is, which is going to be awful if that's the case. But that might that might be the way it goes. How are we going to get just the gear that we need? Just just go to go through this again in October, um, you know, just having to get masks, having to get gowns, having to get face shields, uh, having to get swabs and tests and whatever, um, you know, if it was as fucked up that in October as it, it was the first time, you know, we've learned nothing and did nothing. And so, yeah, so, you, you know, I, I know you followed up. I think you, you reported another story um, on it. What was what were the details of that one? I'm sorry. Which story? <laughs> but didn't you didn't, didn't you report a second story on um, sort of the acquisition of uh, of masks and uh, and other PPE? Wasn't there two? So there were there were two stories about the Newark importer. The first was about um, just kind of introducing him and and his plans for distributing and and how he said Delaware was going to be his priority because of his friendship with the states, the U.S. senator from the state. The second story was about how basically his shipments were seized by, by FEMA. Um, I am working on a story now about the state's procurement, what it has bought, what it's, how it's used, its CARES Act funds, what PPE it's been purchasing and who it's been purchasing from. Um, and and I, I think based on what I've seen there, it, it just it shows more or less what we've already known, that there was... Uh, essentially a scramble for, for this stuff. They paid more than they would have paid for it a year ago, and they bought from a lot of different suppliers, um, several different suppliers. I, I, that, that's what it looks like so far. I mean, I, I, to your point, if, you know, say there's the, the second wave in, in four months, I would like to think that right now, I mean, at, at some point, if there's a lull in the summer, that all of the, the production facilities will be running at 100 percent to uh, to anticipate that. I mean, at least maybe the market forces of anticipation, knowing that they could sell those at a high price in the fall, they will produce as much as they can, and it will be able to satisfy what what the world may need. But I don't know. Um, yeah, and it's I guess that's the thing too is when you th talk about things in this context, but really at the political level. You know, there all the all the talk is about just opening back up. How quickly can we open back up? We got to open back up. We got to get people out. Um, now, again, I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I know it's a complicated issue. Uh, I've, you know, I've voiced my opinion about it uh, before. 
Um, but I do think that, you know, they can have all of these conversations, but really what we need to be prepare preparing for is, you know, what we, what we, we're fairly certain is going to come if we understand how this works. So it's almost like <laughs> we're talking about getting back out as quickly as we can, knowing that there is, is a second wave and there's not a lot of action about, um, you know, we, I guess we can expect the procurement process to be another clusterfuck if 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 there's no if we can't get clarity on some of the issues like with what FEMA's doing what the federal government's doing where are we going to procure this stuff sort of I guess that's what you're working on is trying to find people in the state that say yeah we know we're, our, our date is September 1st we want to be stocked up by September 1st because we think you know X is going to happen I mean is that some is that a conversation that is happening that you know is happening or you're trying to find out if it's happening I, I don't really know at the the, the Delaware level to and, and with too much granul granularity. I um, as far as I know, I what I can tell. I think the planning is more in the near near term. It's in the ten to fifteen the, the month ahead windows. Um, uh, Lex Wilson had reported a story about a month ago about how um, there were these documents that a, a member of Cong Congress had released that that showed the lists of products that the state had requested from the, from the national stockpile. Um, and um, the state had requested a number of things and then FEMA had come back and said, pair it back, just, just tell us what you need for the next two weeks. And we'll try to satisfy that. I, I, I think as far as I can see now, that's still kind of that we're, we're, we're in that stage where, where things are, are still more in the near term, but, but, I don't know. I'm not in the governor's office, so it's tough to say. Um, I, I hope there are. I hope people are putting plans in in place that that are uh, looking at six months from now what we would do then. So. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, with everything going on, I, like I said, I, I I understand why it's not more in the news, uh, considering our current situation. Uh, but yeah, when it when it comes to you know preparedness at this point. You know, I think we need to be a little, you know, the, the forethought and planning, uh, you know, really needs to be there because now's the time to do that, uh, you know, before we get sort of blindsided again. And the other side of this, I mean, there is there's, there's going to be a lot of money, a lot of taxpayer dollars that, that, are, that are used for these purchases. And, and we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars for, for PPE and possibly nationally, um, probably maybe more than that. Um, we need a lot of oversight. We need a lot of journalists who are looking at it. We need inspectors general. We need um, anyone else to, to find out who's buying what and when and why. So, I, I, I wish I could come on your show and give you, I'll tell you, I, I have, I've learned more than what I have published in those two stories, and I, I haven't learned a whole lot more, to be completely honest. Well, that's fair enough because. I, I do want to touch on something. I, I feel like I would be remiss if I if I didn't because you you learned uh, and you reported a great deal uh, on what I'm referring to as the Great Wilmington Transit Center heist. Um, but and and I know you know I don't you know I don't know if you give an opinion on it one way or the other. But you were able to just in the simple mathematical terms say okay this was the this was the proposal. It was going to work. The agreement was it was going to work like A, B, C, D. Now um, the transit center is complete. 
um, and it actually worked like XYZ. And, um, you know, the, the difference between the proposal ABC and the completed XYZ is very telling. And, you know, I, I think at least if you were to kind of explain what you found uh, in, in, those, in those financial records and in those reports, just so uh, we've, we've, we've stated it here, I think everybody would be greatly appreciated. Uh, with because I know um, a lot of people were um, very happy to see that work that was done, and so we want to celebrate Kay Baker right now and celebrate your your reporting. Well, thank you. Um, no, I mean, so the story was it started, I guess, four years ago, roughly. I, I had I don't remember where I saw that they were uh, that that dart. Um, I guess it was an RFP they put out. Um, Anyway, somehow I found out that they were, they were going to build this and it was going to be this public-private partnership. So I talked to Dart's CEO, John Sisson, at the time, and he said, look, this is, this is going to be this public-private partnership is going to allow private dollars to fund the majority of the construction of this building. Taxpayers will get this nice new bus hub at the ground floor. And then the top floor, at the time, there, would be, there was going to be uh, two stories above it, one for a parking garage and one for uh, a rental car. Ability. Um, and the, the private dollars would be, uh, they would get a return on that investment from those private operations on the second and third floor. Um, ultimately, as the plan went forward, the, 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 the scope of the private side was narrowed. Um, they, paired, they paired back some of it, and ultimately the state funded the majority of the construction. Um, so it was about $7 million in, in state money, $3 million in private sector money for the construction, plus another $3 million for, of state money for environmental re remediation, and then I think a few hundred thousand dollars more for design engineering from the state. So it was that's, so it's ten, ten, and, 10 and change from the state and three from the, consor yeah. the consortium of uh, colonial parking and, and whoever else. And EDIS, yeah. Code yeah. parking in uh, Edward de Sabatino and Sons. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and then the, the plan was, um, when I talked to John Sisson originally, he had said that, okay, and, and you know, we're going to have this. And on top of that, the state's going to get a cut of that. And Sisson is the, the, DART, the, the DART director. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, he's the head of DART, the Delaware's bus agency. Great. Um, so the state was going to get a cut of it at the time. He said he believed it'd be after about 10 or 15 years. Um, ultimately, uh, the building was constructed mostly with, with taxpayer dollars, um, and the deal that resulted, if you look at the lease, the, um, the private consortium got, uh, the building, the property for a dollar a year that they, that was their lease. And then they rented the ground floor back to DART for $50,000 a year. Um, and then the, the state would get a portion of the profits, 25% after 25 years. But that not calculated into that, what they call a net operating income is the, is DART's lease. Um, so it, it would just be the, basically the, the operating in income from the, those private operations on the, the upper floors. So they're able to operate, so they operate privately on the upper floors. Uh, I guess that's just colonial parking. I don't know what other, what EDIS would do at that point. 
It's just a, a no, yeah, a, yeah. That's a construction firm. So Colonial Parking is going to operate the top two floors, and and I guess maybe rent one out to to some rental car places too. That that's what was paired back, as I understand. I, okay, I gotcha, gotcha. So so they're going to operate as a paid parking garage, the f top two floors for a dollar a year that they're going to pay, and then but they're also going to get in addition to operating basically for free. I mean, what can we call? Is is it fair to say a dollar a year is for free, or do you not want to do say that? I mean, you can say that, sure. <laughs> okay, I know, I know, you get very, I know, you get very technical about. It. I I just want to point out that Carl reported a dollar a year. I'm saying it's free, so we'll just make we'll make that line of demarcation. I, I mean, and they would also point out. I mean, justifiably, it's it's also a plus, and this this is what it says. It's called under the rent section in their lease. It's that dollar a year plus. 25% of net operating income after after 25 years. Now, now it's important to note, so before I got that lease document, I had asked John Sisson, okay, I said, hey, look, so we talked about this sort of revenue or profit sharing agreement. And so I said, what, so what was the ultimate result of that? And he said, oh, Dart's going to get 50% of net operating income. I was like, oh, okay, sounds all right. Um, and I said, oh, by the way, can you show me those, can you give me those lease documents? And he sent them to me and it said, oh, 25% after 25 years. And what he, what he had said was, oh, he, he had mistaken, he'd, he had been citing the number from a previous draft of the lease. So I guess a previous, previously, before it had been negotiated down, the state was going to get 50% of net operating income and then apparently was negotiated down to 25%. Negotiated down? Who 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 would do who, like how who would make where like when it went through these for example you use the the phrase paring down uh, and and maybe that was like the the rental car operations were kind of taken out of it and then the the shift between who you know those just, just for the record I'm not sure if the rental car okay yeah that's fair because I thought and I I it's so funny I only say that because when we marched from the police station down Walnut Street over the Walnut Street Bridge we walked we marched past it. And I'm like, oh, there it is. It looks, I mean, look, this is common. I mean, this is just taste, but it looks like fucking horse shit. But that's just another fucking story. It looks like fucking another garbage building. Um, but the, but I thought, but I thought I saw, I mean, look, it's a, it's a load of shit. It's, you know, that's, this is what we get in Wilmington, right? Um, <clears throat> I saw the signs there. So I thought maybe at least one of them were there, but, but whatever it is, whatever was, whatever uh, adjustments were made over time that that reset the percentage that private and public would kick in that reset the percentage that would be paid back to the state that reset so all those changes who negotiates those changes how do the, how are those changes made as far as i know i mean there are this so this this was a contract but it was a sole bid it was there was only one bidder just this one partnership um, between EDI or the, the consortium, right. um, there there was a sole bidder on this contract. Uh, but even though they're awarded, as I understand, and I might have some of these details wrong, that the, uh, those specific contract terms were there, there was state side and the private side, and they were able to. to I to answer your question. I don't know. There was a there was somebody in the state and somebody in the, in the private consortium who. I guess my question would be: yeah, I would be interested, yeah. as a, as a as a journalistic sort of uh, curiosity, 
I would personally be interested in who at the state was responsible for negotiating the change from what we were that proposal that we were all told at the beginning and then and then the changes that happened through the end the way that you were able to report it out those that negotiation between EDIS and Colonial Parking the private consortium and the state was negotiated on the state's behalf by somebody or some group that that would be very interesting to know because that yeah so if you could find that out you would be what you would be doing is a service for me as a subscriber so I know who to go yell at that's how this works you do the you do the hard work and then I yell <laughs> I uh, I do it for everybody Rob not just for you I know I know well I mean this is my show so I'm going to pretend like you just do it personally for me um yeah, I mean, I, again, it, it's just, uh, and I know you've been reporting on these stories in Wilmington for many years now. I've lived here my whole life. Um, the public-private partnership is something that, like a lot of things, is supposed to be, like, it's supposed to be a discussion ender, right? When somebody says, well, we're going to have a public-private partnership, that's automatically good. Like, oh, you're involving the, the private sector and they can do it this way. So people use um, use terms that are supposed to be not, they're supposed to be unquestionably the way things work. And well, let, me ask, let me ask this of you, Robin. Oh, what, if, what, what, if, what if the deal had, had worked out the way it was sold? What if, what if the, 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 the consortium, also, by the way, there is a third party, there's, Colonial Parking, EDIS, and Emory Hill Real Estate. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's a, they're just like a uh, that's like a corporate real estate outfit, right? Um, but anyway, but for you, what what would you have thought? Would you are you, I guess when I'm asking you, are are you are you fundamentally against public private partnerships, or are you against those that that don't look like they're in that don't look like they give taxpayers a better deal than it would have been? If it had just been public, I don't like any of them. Okay, I mean, however, however what, what if this what if this, this this consortium had paid for ninety percent of construction, and all of a sudden we got it, and let's say it was built to to the aesthetic that you enjoyed, uh, a new transit center uh, built by the private sector that the public got to got to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, if 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 again, the, and the 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 problem that uh, the the fundamental problem that I have with it, and we'll use this as an example since now we know all of the details, is we took a piece of property that was owned publicly by the city. The state. I, I'm sorry, yes, the state, pardon me. Um, we took a piece of property that was publicly owned. We decided uh, we were going to use that piece of property to create an a, a enclosed bus center. So far, I'm all there. Now, the, the first issue I have is that the reason it was done in, a, in haste was because, as was reported in the news journal, um, the, the, the state and the city got a lot of pressure from the muckety mucks to, to, to move the bus depot off of Rodney Square because they wanted to do something fancy at Rodney Square. So rather than wait until that was open, um, everybody who rode the bus had to sit through years of just fucking chaos because they wanted to move this, move this thing. So that was the first issue that I had with it. 
The second issue I have with it is, again, we're, who, who gives a fuck about the private? It's a state land. We can use it the way that we want to use it. Why are they being involved at all? And, and when things work out in the way that they've ultimately worked out, it sort of proves my point. It's just a way to transfer the value of public infrastructure into private hands. That's what it did. Now, if, 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 if you could present to me a situation like you said, maybe if it was negotiated in a different manner and the numbers worked out um, differently, and I don't remember exactly what the original proposal was. Um, you can refresh my memory. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if it's a thing where, look, you know, as, as a public, we want this here. Um, we don't really want, we don't have, you know, we don't have a construction company. We'll, we'll bid that out. And then, you know, if you want to use top two, floor, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they could work out a deal that would be beneficial to the state, but it, it was the state's shit to begin with. So what are we giving it away for? Why was it given away? That's the ultimate question. Now you've reported the, the facts. The, the facts indicate to me that, 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 uh, public good a public good was given away i want to know why it was given away and i and, and and until i see a deal that i think isn't a blatant giveaway i am going to say every time i see somebody say public private partnership i'm going to know they're a fucking thief mm -hmm. Because that's what you're saying. Now, again, you could report one sometime where you're like, oh, there's that's a nice benefit. You know, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm not happy that this happened or I'm not happy with the, th the way it looks or whatever. But uh, but I understand, like, I, I understand why this was done. You know, it is an imp and And frankly, yeah. I mean, the bottom line is it's, it's nice to have a, a bus depot now that's undercover. And you can have buses undercover. You're not waiting out in the street. You're not getting rained on. Blah, blah, blah. That's good. I take, I ride the bus. I, yeah, I think that's great. But um, but it's but again, it's not done for the public good. It's done to make an arrangement to steal public infrastructure and and public goods. Uh, and I don't really think kicking in three million dollars and then paying nothing and then being paid another fifty grand on top of that as rent to Dart. You already stuck them with. Let's see. Seven is seventy percent, eighty what eighty eighty percent of the costs, eighty five percent of the cost. So you take a piece of state, you take a piece of public. I'm sorry, I'm ranting, but I, this pisses me off. You take a you, you take a public resource that's owned by the state. You sink eighty percent of the money in it to develop it. They sink twenty percent of the money in development. Now they get to use it for free, and we pay them. Um, did I miss anything? Um, uh, not much. I mean, they, they will, uh, they will contribute 25% of their net operating income after 25 years. Well, but... 25 years, we're all going to be fucking dead. I mean, let's be honest. I can't, I can't go another 10 years like I had Saturday. You know what I mean? How are we going to make it? You know, <laughs> all I would say is, you know, I mean, it, this is, you know, it's my, it's my role to, to find these things and, and put them in the newspaper and it's everyone else's to go out and debate them. Well, wow. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I I appreciate you going over that because I do. I and I, you know, I was, you know, I was putting you on a little bit, but but not really. I, that was a great. Um, I I can tell you that from several different sort of angles of people that I'm sort of affiliated with, and whether it be sort of 
independent journalism or whatever the fuck this is or you know just activism and organizing um that was a really that was a, a really super story even though it was just like financial shit because again you were able to map out exactly what this particular public private partnership really was this is what it was and so now i have the ammunition to then say what i'm going to say about it so yeah i i, I really do appreciate it. it was good Thank you. I mean, the one other thing I would note about the, the facility, and, and this was this. So there was a public meeting in January about it, and and a lot of the three or four of the bus advocates there, uh, their their one gripe about it, and it, to me it seems legitimate is is that people have to cross Walnut Street for going between the transit bus bus transit center and the train station and that's not an easy road to cross um now they're they're going to drop off passengers i guess at the, the train station the buses will stop there um yeah, there'll still, there'll still be people who need to to cross that street and and that's the, I, I that sure seems like a legitimate criticism to me i mean i have crossed that road a number of times and it, it's tough it's you can't see you can see the first i guess two lanes but then the Additional two lanes. There's that divider that's covered, so it's just hard to see. Yeah, I, I mean, you're I you're a, people crossing. Uh, yeah, I, and and I, there's a lot of places like that in the city. I mean, I know you're you're a big uh, bicyclist, I, a bicycler. I, I know uh, Lex is, and and all, uh, a lot of you guys do just tons of bike riding. And if you bike or walk in the city, you know it's 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 tricky. I mean, it's 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 dangerous in some places. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, down Union Street, coming out of uh, coming out of 40 acres onto Pennsylvania Avenue, they've just built a huge new, well, I mean, I don't know when it's going to open now. I guess the development's been a little bit different on Pennsylvania Avenue there by the train trestle. But it was already very difficult to cross Pennsylvania Avenue at Union Street and then go up Union Street into Little Italy because the train trestle is like right on the, there's no, there's not a lot of setback. The, 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 the sidewalk's only, you know, five feet across. Now they have construction barrels and construction signs there, and people are flying down Pennsylvania Avenue making a right under the trestle to go up Union Street into Little Italy. And you're taking your life in your hands there. Now, I was told that that was going to be developed into, like, something that was more uh, pedestrian-friendly, and maybe it will be. Um, they did cut Union Street on the other side there in Little Italy from three lanes to two lanes and back in traffic, which I think was was sort of friendlier, neighborhood friendlier. Um, so maybe I'm getting ahead of myself and, and we will have some some sort of uh, infrastructure there that'll make it easier for pedestrians and bikes to just to move around. Because if you think about it, it's the main street that runs from this side of Pennsylvania Avenue to that side of Pennsylvania Avenue. But it's it's impossible to cross almost on your feet unless you really pay attention. So yeah, I mean, and again, not to gripe on not to gripe on the look of the building, but you know they give you the they give you the artist rendering and they give you the building, and uh, you know we always get we always get to fucking scrape the bottom of a barrel kind of stuff. So you know, I never trust any anything. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think to be fair, it was redesigned after that that initial artist render. Oh, I'm I'm that's Maybe. pretty clear. I think that's pretty clear. Exactly. Yeah, redesigned. So, but. Um... Yeah, and, I, and I'm someone who enjoys brutalist architecture, and this is just brutal on my, this is just brutal, this is just brutal. I mean, it, it is, it does match the train station much more than the original design does. 
Um, I don't know if, if how much that matters to you, but I mean, I, 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 I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're sort of. I mean, it, it, a, a little bit, a little bit. I I don't want to get bogged down into an architecture thing here. I I was just using that. It is a little, you know, it's not really that yeah, important. Yeah. But. So for the last uh for the last little bit, I want to talk about something fun. I I hope I can hope I can pick your brain a little bit, um, because you know we have these conversations all the time offline, and you know I'm always talking to you know all your colleagues all the time. I, you know we we all appreciate all of your reporting and. You know, everybody has their criticisms, you know, they can't please everybody. Believe me, uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody hates me. Um, but something something came up uh, about a week ago where I was having a conversation just about uh, very similar to what we were having earlier, actually, where the parameters of the discussion have to be this and this. And you can ask tough questions like like the governor might be might be here on an issue and you can ask a tough question here but you can't ask a tough question here or there like so what i think is a tough question isn't really a tough question uh for example and as the conversation continued it became clear that the person was basically making the argument that you just made like i'm going to figure out what the facts are and i'm going to report them and then everybody else can sort of argue about them which Again, on the face of it, a lot of people have a problem just with that. I don't. I, I get that part of it. But then I had this sort of weird moment last week where I had finished like my research for the day, and, and I just wanted to sit back, and I got a big glass of wine, and I smoked a huge joint, and I just started looking at YouTube videos for an hour. And I came across some idiocracy remember the film idiocracy the mike judge film right you're familiar okay. with it, right yeah <laughs> and so it's this dystopian future where you wake up 200 years from now and we're all fucking stupid and everything's you know and, and people think it's very prescient because of the age of trump you know and so i watched a few of the videos and i watched a few of the uh the president camacho videos you know what's his name the old football player uh the nfl player plays president camacho right 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 um, and okay. Yeah, and and so I saw this, the State of the Union uh, scene with him. You know, he comes out, and he, I don't know if you remember the scene, but he fires an M16 into the Capitol thing, and he, he talks about, uh, U, he actually talks about UBI just giving everybody a million dollars, you know, and it's just fucking crazy. Did he ever off at the end? Yeah, and, 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 and all I could think about was the way that that would be reported in the next day's paper is President Camacho came out in a very uh, unorthodox uh, 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 attire and then made some uh, provocative statements about universal basic income. And uh, yeah, it was all very, uh, it was all very unorthodox, uh, but, 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 you know, on and on. And I'm thinking, this is kind of the, this is the, this is the loggerheads that we're at. Like, people will so talk. Yes, yes, please, 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 please go, go ahead. ahead. Just on that, before I forget this, and, this is, and, and, and again, this is this is just a general. This is not a criticism of anybody in particular. It's just this idea that, and I'll tell you how to frame it, and then I'll let you go. Sure. No, I mean, when, when Trump when Trump was elected, people and I I don't agree with this outlook, but people were like, well, we can't normalize this. You know, if somebody's going to get up there and like threaten people and do this and do that and be so so far out of the sort of accepted guidelines, we we can't quote normalize it. But, but of course, it's normal now. And so that's what made me think, like, yeah, I can, I can imagine, like, you know, 
Lex, Lex, Lex being, well, not Lex. He would figure out a way to do it. But like, like people just saying, yeah, you know, President Camacho is uh, just a, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's very eccentric. They would use words like eccentric and unorthodox. Uh, and, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't paint the picture that I think would need to be painted in that situation. But go ahead. I, 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 I want to hear your thoughts. I mean, I think that last statement is, is that's what is key. And, you know, I talk about this with other reporters a lot is people say, okay, so what, what's the best word to use here or, or this one? Is this, this going to endear or offend somebody? The answer always is, I think. The words you use, the people who read them. So all, all reporters are is we just find information and we have to transfer it to our readers. And so if the words you use give the readers the accurate information. So, for example, the, the protests in Wilmington. I mean, if you're going to describe them in some, if you're going to characterize them in some way, one way or another, if the words you choose, if the image in the reader's mind is an accurate image of actually what happened. Those are the words you use. So calling President Camacho's speech unorthodox, I don't think paints an accurate, accurate picture. So, I mean, in, in that case, I, you know, it always use his words, use quotes, say what he said. Um, but you don't need to, you don't need to characterize in, in necessarily in, in other directions. You know, if, 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 you, if you take it down to its, its core and just, just describe clearly, declaratively what it is, what he's saying, and in the case of a speech, I would use lots of quotes, then, then that's, I think that's the answer. I don't know if I'm being as clear as, as I should be right now, even though I'm talking about clarity. But um, it's about not using words that characterize, I think, or, or using few of those. It's about using strong declarative sentences about what happened or what he said. That, that uh yeah I, I i i suppose so but i i guess you see what i mean like if somebody if somebody makes a uh, just a, a ridiculous comment that creates outrage mm -hmm. that's possible that's you know, that's something that happens would would you would you ever write would you ever write this is a ridiculous statement and people are outraged i don't think i need to if it, if people are outraged then you write so what happens but can you can, can you report that people are outraged yeah, absolutely. Okay. That, that is that you should report that. And I mean, ridiculous is, is not really an important word. Okay. If, yeah, if that's right. If people are outraged, then they're then the accuracy of the statement of them being outraged is going to convey that. You can call it unprecedented if it's unprecedented. If no president before them, before Camacho, had, had, <laughs> fired had, an M sixteen into the down with the capital. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in that case, you just say fired an M sixteen into the ceiling. Right, that accurately describing it is 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 the way to carry the most punch for the fewest words, and and that I'm, I'm preaching a little bit here, but that's why it's so important to have reporters who dig into the nitty gritty details because that's the only way you can accurately describe uh, what what goes on, and use and, and that's the only way you're going to have that that authority to speak with the the ability to speak with authority. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. Like I said, I, I like having these. I, I knew having you on, we'd have like just a uh, kind of a spirited conversation rather than like I've, I've had a couple dry conversations recently. They've been, they've been cool, but it's almost like you were talking about reporting. Uh, 
you might be interested. I think we're going to drop it this week. Um, I talked to uh, Matt Brunig of the uh, People's Policy Project. I don't know if you know Matt Brunig. He, he, he dropped a paper about a week ago on the earned income tax credit and the arguments against the earned income tax credit. Um, so, hey, this is something. This might be right in the Carl Baker, uh, Carl Baker wheelhouse. I would like to read or listen to that. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Well, well thanks. I'm, I'm pulling his page up right as we speak. Go ahead. Oh, oh nice. Um, uh, yeah, no, thanks a lot. I, I, I wish, uh, I, I hope you and your colleagues are, uh, are, are safe when you go out and cover some of this stuff. Um, you know, I said this morning on my commentary, um, uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know, uh, when it's going to end. I, I suspect it will continue. It probably should continue considering the situation you're in. As you said, um, earlier, you know, there's a lot of anger, uh, and, and people need to start understanding what the impetus is. Um, so that we can get ourselves out of this because, you know, I understand why it has to continue, but it's, it's dangerous. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just hope you guys, as Jerry told me, uh, when he took photos on, on Saturdays, like I'm just watching out for my own neck. <laughs> so yeah, just be careful out there and, uh, you know, keep your eye out. I will. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks a lot, Carl. Well, you can uh, you can support our show by uh, going to patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. You can follow us on Twitter at Highlands Bunker. You should subscribe to the news journal at Delaware Online. Uh, I know everybody has their criticisms, but um, I'll tell you, you know, I follow the news here, and, and as I said, I I, uh, I used some, some of uh, Jeannie's reporting in my commentary today. So, you know, there's a lot of bullshit in there, but there's a lot of good shit in there too. Um, and we, and, and as you know, we, uh, we always support the, uh, the Delaware news guild. That's our, that's over my other shoulder. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're big fans of that. And, um, uh, we got our, we got, we hope that although, although it's not a panacea, um, I think having a, having a seat at the table and having a, you know, any, any more leverage you can get is good leverage, you know? And, and so, um, you know, I, I hope I, I wish you the best with that. Um, and I, I did tell uh, a few of your colleagues yesterday that the the lawyer that Gannett sent from New York originally when you guys um, announced is an outside agitator. I consider that man an outside agitator, and I don't think he's true. He might be Antifa. So we should, it's just very slimy outside. You know, he's not from here. He's not. He's a paid. He's a paid outside agitator. Am I right or am I right? You would know. Come on. I know. I'm still waiting for my fucking Soros check. He's, he's supposed to be a $5 a month patron. He hasn't paid in three months. <clears throat> get on that. I know. All right. Thanks a lot, Carl. I appreciate it, man. Good talk. Take, take it easy, buddy. Bye.